Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. I have thoroughly enjoyed the last few months. I've been a pastor for uh, in ministry for 25 years, and uh, I don't think I've ever sat with my wife this many times at church. And uh, that has been nice to be able to uh, sit in our living room and enjoy each other's company and hear each other's voices as we sing to the Lord. Uh, that's been nice. And so I don't want to diminish that. It's been a really good reset. Uh, but at the same time, there is just something supernatural about hearing the voices of God's people together in a room, isn't there? Uh, it is just uh, no offense to their voices, but it is otherworldly to be together with brothers and sisters. And um, I know that the Lord is up to some things. I know He is at work. I know, I believe 100% in His sovereignty. Uh, I know that uh, coronavirus doesn't take him, uh, you know, captive and limit him in any way. Or, uh, and so I don't, I'm not saying that at all. I am saying that I know that he is at work. And uh, we can either see this as a detriment or we can see this as an opportunity to think again about some things that we have taken for granted. And so as a church, that's what we have been doing for months now is trying to ask new, better questions about what ministry looks like. Because I do believe that as simple as coronavirus is in its complexity uh, and the issues that go on. Let me say this too. For those of you at home, this won't make any sense. But for those of you who are here, uh, I know that it's annoying to hear them worshiping the Lord. uh, But I love hearing the Hispanics worship the Lord here. So if we can turn that into a positive thing. Uh, I'm glad that they're here and and they're back at it, worshiping the Lord. Uh, I do think that it's uh, unfortunate that they're just on the other side of that wall uh, and that they worship a lot longer than we do. But by the way, they will be worshiping when we're already finished with lunch. So uh, if that's any consolation to those of you who are in the room. uh, Anyway, all right, I died best. Uh, So uh, what I wanted to say about that is, is that this gives us, I, I do believe that this has begun, at least for our thinking, a dividing line in the timeline of church history. I, there's a whole lot of things about life six months ago I don't think is ever going to go back. Uh, I think that we have, everybody has had to think new questions and new solutions. And some of the ways that we have thought are better than the way we used to think. And so, you know, for those of you who may not like change, um, maybe this slow grade uh, to get to a new normal uh, will prepare us for what a new normal will look like. But we're trying to process the same thing as a church. And so here's some things that will not change. The resurrection of Jesus Christ doesn't change. That He is the only hope for brokenness doesn't change. That He gave us one responsibility, and that is to make disciples. That doesn't change. And so questions come and go, but those things will always remain the same. And the tools and the equipment and the resources that he gives us to accomplish those things will never change. And so everything else uh, has the capacity to change. And so I just want to encourage you that whatever the future looks like in your relationships, in your work, in your home, in your finances, in your church, 
Everything may change, but let me remind you, nothing changes. God is still sovereign. Jesus is still resurrected. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. All of his promises are still yes in Christ, and he is indwelling the believers for modern ministry. And so uh, that really should be a great reassurance to us as we move forward. Well, let's go ahead and get to the Word this morning, and I'll go ahead and turn to the book of Acts. We're going to start in Acts chapter 11 today. It's a new series, but uh, some, some things, some truths I want to give us right off the bat and uh, if you're into note-taking, let me encourage you to take notes. And then the goal isn't just to take notes. The goal is to, to put those notes inside of your life. Uh, so, you know, we're not into cliches and catchy statements. Uh, we try to put them in those terms so that we can remember them. And they can, you know, the Holy Spirit will pull those up throughout the weeks as we're learning to apply truths. But here's one of the things that I have learned over the last several years and that is this, the kingdom of God has already begun. Uh, if we're waiting for the kingdom of God to begin when we die or to begin in heaven, we've waited far too long. So the kingdom of God has already begun. When, when the Holy Spirit indwelt you as a believer, you automatically at that very moment became a citizen in a new kingdom. I think this is one of the reasons why we talk about life and death so often is because Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. And Jesus is the kingdom of God and everywhere he goes is the kingdom of God. And so if Christ lives in me and I am empowered by the Holy Spirit to have my being and to move about, then the Spirit of God already lives in me and now through me, which brings me to the second truth. So the kingdom of God is now. The kingdom of God is not later only. It is now and later. But here's the, here's the second truth. God's grace, God's blessings, God's benefits to us both in eternity and now, including salvation itself, is through, not to all right, so let me explain what I mean by that. Every promise, every truth, every reality that we have in Jesus is intended to run through us, not just to us. When we see ourselves as the end result or as the goal of what God is accomplishing, we have paralyzed the kingdom of God in our life. God's work does not exist in you for you alone. You are, are a byproduct of what God is doing, but everything that God does to you should flow through you into the world around you. We are to extend every promise, every blessing, every truth, every reality, and to extend the kingdom of God in this present day. And I think that is the number one thing that the church of Jesus Christ has long forgotten is that the kingdom has already started and God is using us to build it. So many of us say yes to Jesus and then wait on death to go to heaven to enjoy Him. And uh, that's just not what we read in Scripture, which is why I think the church has lost much of its influence, much of its significance, and a whole lot of its reputation in the last 100 years. Well, no longer. I, I believe, I don't speak prophetically very often, but I am going to tell you, I believe that we as a church 
have been tapped on the shoulder and we've been offered an opportunity to be more invested and invigorated by his kingdom than ever before. I believe that we are some of the few around the world that is going to be chosen to change the world during these days. So the follower of Christ who is walking empowered by the Holy Spirit is empowered to accomplish a great deal for the kingdom of God in this world. But, I, we, but we have to remember, it is the Spirit of God that does the work. Not our best efforts and our good intentions and our kindness. It's not even our... So when, when uh, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, he said, It is the goodness of God that leads men to what? Anybody know? To repentance. But so often in our church model and methods, it is the goodness of humanity that leads people to anywhere. Listen, it is not our goodness or our good works that do anything. If it is not uh, powered by the Holy Spirit Himself, it will not accomplish kingdom results. The Holy Spirit is the only fuel for that. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about what it looks like to move from simply being born again to moving into another reality of being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that is a very instantaneous uh, moment. When you say yes to Jesus, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But if you don't recognize it, you will walk with uh, allowing that to be muted in your life because you won't expect to walk in it. You won't expect to move in it. You won't expect to hear from Him. You won't, be able, you won't expect to be able to see what He is doing in your life. And so we spend an inordinate amount of time trying to relearn what it looks like for us as, as followers of Jesus Christ. What realities do we have in this present age? And as, of course, you know, just as a really quick recap, we've, we've seen that through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we can finally pray with power and effectiveness. We have the ability to understand Scripture like never before and to be able to break it down and make it applicable in any situation and every situation to rightly divide it and know when and where and how to place it perfectly into the spirit of another person. We have seen how to heal and how to have the faith to speak healing. How to discern what God is wanting and intending to do at any given moment. We have seen that the empowerment of God gives us the ability to give generously. To preach and to evangelize. Though we may not have a calling to be professional preachers. We have been given the responsibility to herald the good news of the kingdom of God everywhere we go. To be bold in the face of death. And perhaps even more importantly, to be bold in the face of life. How to overcome prejudices and how to, to bring balance and how to love everyone in every strata and every culture and every economy. How to overcome cultural barriers, both in day-to-day -day relationships and also for the kingdom. Last week we saw how to overcome our interactions with the wolves of this life. And I want to just say all the things that I've just listed here from the book of Acts where men of God were indwelt or filled with the Holy Spirit of God and how it revolutionized their world and their uh, context around them. It is the 
indwelling of the Holy Spirit and that only that we can accomplish these things. Now, the, our flesh and this world can be satisfied with far less than the Holy Spirit to accomplish some of these things. So, for instance, we can be good people. We can be kind people. We can make donations. We can, uh, we can pray with people. We can discern or go along with trends and follow good advice. We can do some of these things and we call ourselves Christians and we, we, we say that we are walking in the empowerment of the Spirit, but many, many times some of these substitutes are not empowered supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. And so what happens is we share our faith or we take a passage of Scripture and rather than it being empowered by the Holy Spirit, it just seems to us and we speak and we may have a season of fruit, but soon the fruit rots. Our attitudes go backward. We fail in prayer. We get weak. We get fearful. We get anxious. Our relationships fail. Our counsel falls short. Even those that we lead to the Lord return to their own vomit, as Peter says. And we scratch our head and we curse the world. And the problem is, is the church isn't walking in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's why the fruit rots. Because I'm telling you, what the Holy Spirit touches will never rot. It comes to life. And it continually bears life. But when I look around at modern day, what we call modern day Christianity, I don't see the church speaking life. I see the church trying to maintain and just hold on, living in fear. But we are not people of fear. We've grown satisfied doing good things in our lives rather than doing truly God things. But I believe that God is giving us an opportunity to reboot, to refresh, to renew. I am, again, not prone to speaking prophetically. But, and I try to be very, very careful where I get my news and so I'm not speaking as a fear monger, but I am saying this. I am convinced that we are living in the end of days. We are closer than we have ever been for, uh, for, uh, ever before. That is for sure. And so I do believe that this is an opportunity of great uh, power for the church. I also know that it's going to come with great deception. Because the word of God tells us so. That even the followers of God will fall away if possible. And so if you think that we're going to get away with just being empowered without having to face wolves. One of the things that we must be careful of is that we don't turn as wolves against each other. That we maintain unity and we encourage each other. And we lift each other and we, we, uh, we challenge each other and we hold each other accountable. This is no time for us to play it safe, for us to relax, for us to let down, for us to hunker. This is a time for the people of God in the kingdom of God to reveal the spirit of God that has never been more at work in the world than he is right now. So we have to, we've looked at what it looks like for the individual follower of Jesus Christ to live empowered. You know, we talk about what does it look like in our homes, in our work, in our neighborhoods. But what would it look like if numerous empowered people who have been gifted and blessed by the Spirit Himself, what if they were to contribute their empowerment into one another? I mean, we've been talking about the individual born-again believer, learning what is at their disposal. And honestly, all of these things that we've looked at are pretty general. These are things we all share. But what would it look like if many born-again, indwelt 
believers joined forces and cooperated and partnered together to not just change their home, but to turn the world upside down for the kingdom of God. I don't think that there's a better illustration or witness of what that would look like than the church at Antioch. And so I want us to look first at Acts chapter 11, and we're going to break some of these things down. Jesus actually in Matthew chapter 16 verse 18 said, based upon the fact that Peter said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the sent one, the anointed one from God. And, uh, and Jesus said, based upon that, I will build my church. And so as born again believers, which Jesus prayed for often, as that, we know that Jesus' ultimate result is that born-again believers would partner together in an assembly of born-again Christians. This was a refreshing movement when it began, the first century church experience. They, no one could ever say, and I think that is, is, is wonderful, that the church at Antioch, when they would attempt great things, no one was there to say, we've never done it like that before. Right? They could get away with a whole lot of experimentation. No one could say, here's what you do. No one could say, here's the day you meet on. No one could say, this is the time that you meet. No one had to say, these are the ways you break down age. No one would be able to say, this is the book of songs you can sing. There was no one around. What they were forced to do was to depend upon the leadership of the Holy Spirit 100%. Everything they did was completely fresh and new. And I say that's a blessing. It's a blessing not to be trapped by the decisions that someone else made yesterday. And I think it is a... Now listen, I want you to know my heart and not just my words. So you need to look at me and you need to listen through the Spirit, not my voice. Because I do not want to come across harsh and I know that this may. <laughs> well, let me just, let me just continue. So the benefit of the first church was that they had to completely depend upon the Holy Spirit for empowerment, for direction, for guidance. They had to ask themselves every day when they got up, today, what does it look like for us to make disciples? What decisions, what questions should we ask of the Lord so that we can know how do we make disciples today? Not how did they make disciples 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago. How do we change the city of Antioch? That's refreshing to me. I think these days give us an opportunity to, to be students of our culture. To ask ourselves what are the real questions that the lost world around us is asking. And where is the answers in Jesus Christ? And how do we convey and relay that to the brokenness that's all around us? How can we bring the kingdom of God, the empowered kingdom of God, into the brokenness of the kingdom of this world? Now, I want to say this, and it should go without saying. We can't offer the cure if we're still walking in that same brokenness. That's why it is so important for us to learn how to walk in the Spirit of God and quit tripping over our feet of flesh. This is why holiness is so important in the life of a believer. 
Not long ago, we talked about holiness being a prerequisite for heaven. I don't see that in Scripture. I see Paul calling the church at Corinth holy saints. (laughs) They weren't. Not according to our standard. But once we are born again, we are called holy because Christ is holy. Holiness won't get you to heaven. Jesus will. But once we are filled with the Spirit of Jesus Christ, we need to walk in the Spirit. We need to walk holy. We need to live holy. We need to think holy. We need to act holy. Because that's what separates us from the brokenness of the world. And when we live that way, we are able to speak into the brokenness of the world. With power, not just with reputation. You see, the mission of the church is always as fresh as make disciples of every nation. That's fresh every morning. Every morning when you wake up, that's a fresh question. How do I help people find and follow Jesus today? We begin to, when we begin to maintain previous answers instead of asking our own questions of the Holy Spirit, That's when the church will become stale. And let me just tell you, the church of Jesus Christ is stale. We've stopped asking our own questions. And we've relied on the answers from yesterday. And I'm telling you, going forward, those answers will not be enough. When the church thought for themselves, they looked like Corinth. But when the church depended upon the Spirit, they looked like Antioch. If we're not careful, we will begin to just do church. That is, maintain. And I'm, I'm speaking, not prophetically now, I'm speaking honestly with a lot of repentance in my heart. We've done a great job of maintaining what was handed to us. And it was good. And it achieved some fruit because men of God yesterday asked the Spirit of God, how do we make disciples now? And God answered, but we've continued to live in those answers instead of asking our own questions of the Spirit, listening to what He wants us to do. We're trusting in our past success instead of a fresh direction from the Holy Spirit. We hold the model that was shown to us by the previous generation. Our questions would be, what did the previous generation do? Or what was church like when I was a kid? How was I moved? Well, listen, here's what the world is not asking. The world is not asking, what did it take for you to become a Christian? They're asking their own questions. Sometimes we begin to honor our, our own past rather than honoring the Lord Jesus And his will for us today. Well, we begin to hold sacred what they held sacred, hold their models, their methods, their songs as something as greater, greater than the calling that God has placed upon us. And it's not because we are in rebellion, it's because we're not asking, Lord, what do you want from us? What do you want for us? And how do we give that away? I want us to learn 
how to intentionally ask that question of ourselves as individuals. But as importantly, what does it look like for us to lean into one another and ask that question in honest prayer before the Lord? Speak, Lord, for your servant, the church, hears. Our mandate has never been to continue the ministry of the church. Our mandate has always been make disciples of every nation. That's the mandate of the church. And thank God he threw us into a relationship with one another to bear one another's burdens. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit only. I mean, we have been empowered to do just that. I just, I feel like the Lord has, in our terms, had to use pretty excessive uh, actions, not excessive, uh, extreme actions for us to finally get to the point where we're asking this question. Otherwise, we were pretty satisfied and pretty happy just doing what we, what we do, just doing church. But I feel like He is giving us freedom and actually wants us to have our own movement that changes the world and turns it upside down. And I do believe that he's asking us to participate with him. Every fruitful movement from the beginning of time began as a new thing. That's why God says, behold, I do a new thing. We shouldn't be afraid of our own movement. We shouldn't be afraid of our own opportunities to go out to the highways and the hedges and to compel them to come in. I want to... Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I struggle with this too. I'd say it that way. Uh, is that what was effective for me and what meant a lot to me and what I saw effective in churches that I've been a part of uh, in times past? We look at that and say, what was effective? Well, we need to do that again. But, uh, you know, the truth of the matter is, you know, it wasn't the model that worked, it was the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that caused the fruit, not the model. Not the method, not that ministry. It was the Holy Spirit working through the church who were on their knees individually and collectively asking the question, what do you want for me and what do you want from me? The Holy Spirit is working through the church, not just in the church. Through the church, not just in the church. Listen, I want you to write this down. I want you to underline it. I want you to memorize it. Models and methods do not make disciples. Disciples do. Models and methods don't make disciples. Disciples do. When they are fused together and focused on the Holy Spirit. Every church is different. Sometimes churches get into competition and they look around and they say, well, that's working down there. We ought to do that. Or, hey, that, they're doing that. We should try some of that. And, you know, I heard about a church in another, you know, the big church. They're doing this thing. We ought to do that. Well, every church is different. Every church has their own unique context of who they are to reach, how they are to reach them, and the issues that are around them. The Holy Spirit gives gifts as He wills, the Scripture says. And so, 
You need to understand that in every church, in fact, in this room, and, and you know, if everyone was here together, this would be equally true. You know, we have a range of spiritual gifts when we're together. And, and I believe that every one of us has a blend of spiritual gifts, you know, different proportions of other gifts. And so, you know, each individual Christian is like a, a thumbprint or a fingerprint. No one has those in the exact proportion as everyone else. And so the Holy Spirit knows what He wants an individual church to be and to do. And so as God needs or calls or expects from us, He changes the blend of the spiritual gift collective. This is why sometimes, and it hurts, it, and it should, when people go, they're going to another church. God needs their spiritual gifts there. And sometimes it hurts. And there's a right way and a wrong way to make that change. Sometimes God brings people into a church because He has enabled them to have certain spiritual gifts that the church needs in that moment. The responsibility of the leadership of the church is to be able to constantly evaluate and see what is the spiritual gift blend of our church and how are we to accomplish the mission by which God has given us this group of people. Well, let me just break it all down and say this. Our spiritual gift blend or our church personality doesn't look the same as the church next door or the church down the street. Now, we're called to make disciples, but our methods and models must always follow the spiritual gift blend that God has given us. And that changes. You also can't transfer spirituality. Another thing that, that can't transfer is time and spiritual maturity. It, it can't change. Some churches have been doing well for a long, long time. And it has taken, sometimes people don't realize how long it takes to change a church culture to get it healthy. You can't just go into an unhealthy church and say, hey, do this model and it'll change your church overnight. It takes, a, it takes time and maturity and, and leadership styles. So we ask the question, what is God doing around me? Today's introduction, by the way, so don't get lost in the, hey, where's Acts 11? I'm ready to go home, all right? Where can I see God at work? Can I sense God's movement? And by the way, He is always at work. What we need to learn is how to ask Him, Lord, what are you doing around me today? Let me see your movement around me today so that I can engage with your work. What does God have for me to do? How can I use what God has given me and give that away to brothers and sisters? How can my brothers and sisters help me accomplish what God wants me to do? How can we pray for one another? How can we work together and reveal the empowerment of the Spirit? This is what the church at Antioch had to do. They woke up every morning. They lived in relationship with one another. They needed one another. They were desperate for one another to accomplish the work. We can't do the work of God with hands of flesh. It's not possible. You see, a supernatural work requires supernatural power. If we don't use it, we're not ever going to accomplish anything for his kingdom. I think about Abraham. Remember when Abraham tried to help God? God made him a promise. Abraham tried to help him. Disaster. Remember when uh, David, in, in Numbers chapter 1, God told David to number the people? And so David numbered the people. That was so people could be put into care and, and have provision for themselves. God ordered that. But there was another time where David got very afraid if his military power was big enough. And so he numbered the people because of his own pride. And that was disastrous. When, when, when men try to do the, the work of God, 
with hands of flesh, it will rot. God wants us to know that He alone is responsible for victory. All He asks for is obedience. And we can only be personally obedient when we know what God wants for us. And and listen, God wants so much more for us than just to go to heaven one day. His kingdom begins now. All right, well, let's, uh, let's shift. I think, I think we get the point there. <clears throat> but spiritual growth, you know, we're talking about, you know, for us to experience this, we're going to have to work on spiritual growth. And spiritual growth isn't something that just happens uh, over time. It is a byproduct of a proper relationship with Jesus. Uh, it, starts, it starts here. I mean, God's the one who, who originated it. He, he's the one who begins the work. Uh, it, it ends up here, and it moves from here to out here. And then when it moves out here, it moves out there. And as it moves out there, it goes back to up here. Uh, it's kind of like an evaporation cycle, right? I mean, it, it, it comes from God. It flows through me into us collectively, out of us, into the neighborhood, out of the neighborhood, back to the praise and the glory of God. When a person falls in love with Jesus, those around them will too. When a church falls in love with Jesus, the neighborhood around them will too. So let's look at Antioch, Acts chapter 11. Believe it or not, I'm almost done for today. In Acts chapter 11, verse 21 Luke tells us that the hand of the Lord was upon them. This is, points out what I said last week, which was they were filled with the Spirit. That's what it means. It's what it means all the way through from the Old Testament forward. Uh, the hand of the Lord was on, when the hand of the Lord is upon you, you are filled with the Spirit of God. When the Lord takes His hand off, you're emptied from the Lord's presence. Let me look at some really quick church history as we have learned it in the book of Acts. Uh, and, and the history and the facts of this are super quick, but they're incredibly important to the story. The, the church at Antioch, now listen closely, this is very important. The church at Antioch was founded by laymen. They didn't have pastors. They didn't have preachers. They didn't have professionals. Not an apostle among them. If you go over to Acts chapter 8, verse 1, this is the chapter after Stephen is murdered in the street. In fact, let me just read it. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. This is the day that Stephen was killed. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So every believer, the thousands of them in Jerusalem... At the sight of Stephen being murdered in the street for his faith, were so paralyzed and terrified, they left everything and ran away. And they relocated in the entire region. Now, this ends up being a good thing, right? This is a good thing that gets bad and then it comes better. Because now we have Christians scattered throughout the region. But remember, they are terrified. But the thing I wanted to point out is... The apostles didn't leave Jerusalem. They stayed behind. And these lay people uprooted from their homeland and their worldly security and their homes and their jobs. And what did they do? They went and started preaching to Gentiles. Some of these folks actually 
located to a place in Antioch. And Antioch was, uh, was a weird place. There was a lot of Jewish presence there, but for the most part, this was a, a lot of uh, Roman and even uh, Greek activity taking place. These were, this was a Gentile area. And so for the Christians who used to be Jews relocating to a Gentile area because they were afraid of Gentiles back in Jerusalem, well, and, you know, and Jews... And so they get up there and they can't stop talking about Jesus. I think that is so important for us because it's the one thing they were trying to get away from, but it's the one thing that they do when they get there. There's not Jews here to try to proselytize. So you know what? We can't not talk about Jesus. It's kind of like what Peter said. We can't not say what we've seen and what we've heard. So they're scared to death of being slain in the street in Jerusalem for what they believe. And so they move And when they get there, they start telling people in the street about Jesus. It says a whole lot about them. They couldn't help it. But that's a byproduct of being in a proper relationship with Jesus. You can come up with all your excuses, but let me tell you something. If you're walking in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you can't help but have Jesus on your lips. He supernaturally empowered their witness, and large numbers of these Gentiles were turning to Christ. The church at Antioch was founded by lay people whose first priority was to walk in obedience to Christ. And out of that obedience came the power to change the world. And, and they did. I mean, I mean, it says they changed the world, turned the world upside down. And I really feel like God is calling us to do that. So let's look at chapter 11, verse 23. Then when he, talking about Barnabas, had come and witnessed, that word is ido. Not idle, ido, which means to perceive with the eyes. So this is not experiential witnessing. This is actually he saw it with his own eyes, the grace of God. Now, we can experience the grace of God. We can feel the grace of God. But how do you see the grace of God? Well, in verse 24, it says he saw, Barnabas, great numbers of people coming to know the Lord. This is important. Conversions. In chapter 13, verses 1 and uh, through 3, this is when they were, we talked about this last week, when they were praying and fasting for the direction of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we know you want to make disciples. You've brought us up here to Antioch. We've established a church, but it's time for us now to go to the uttermost parts of the world. Prayer and fasting is very important. Praying and fasting for God's answer. Praying and fasting once He answers and for His empowerment to go with them. They wanted God's presence. They were not satisfied with just meeting together and talking about God. Listen, do you hear me? The early church of Jesus wanted a relationship and wanted His presence, not just to sit around and talk about His presence. The third thing they saw was in chapter 11, verse 27 through 30, is this spontaneous and generous giving. There was a prophet who came to them, a man who who, who spoke. His name is Agabus. And they were talking about the famine that was breaking out in Jerusalem. And he presented this need about all the Christians who still lived in that area. And you know what? This fledgling church in Antioch did? They opened up their wallets. 
And they gave tons of money generously. Now remember who they are. They, many of them have left their homes. They left their jobs. They left their families. They left all of their security. But there was a need that arose among us. How much do you need to satisfy the need? Generous. Listen, this is, this is anybody can give. But to give empowered by the Holy Spirit does a whole other thing. Because they see God as the provider. They had a vision for the world. They had a compassion for people. They had a quick and generous response system. I think probably the most visible grace of God that Barnabas could see among this church at Antioch is, and I I think it's missed on us, but is that the Jews and the Gentiles were taking communion together. That is incredible. You go over to to Galatians chapter 2 when Paul is talking to the church at Galatia about his interaction with Peter. And he talks about James actually sitting down with Gentiles and taking communion with them. He uses it as as an opportunity to, to talk about what happens in a church when the brokenness of our cultural, prejudicial, Systems that we've created of camps and groups, when all of that is broken down by the grace of God. I mean, can you imagine going to this first century church and seeing converted Jews giving the gospel to unconverted Gentiles, and when many of them were coming to know the Lord, bringing them into church, and they became one body, the body of Christ together? That's how you know that it's, these barriers were obliterated when the grace of God entered. And I need, I need us to remember, I need to remember that the church has the answer to every brokenness of the world. So we have to ask the question, why isn't our answers affecting the world? I think it's because we're asking the wrong questions and we're depending upon the wrong power. In chapter 11, verse 26, it says, In Antioch, these followers of the way were first called Christians. I don't think that that's a good thing. I think that was a negative thing, in fact. I think that the the world was looking at these Christians, and it was a a term of derision. Uh, The church didn't call themselves that. They were called Christians. And so what happens is the world was looking at them and saying, that group of people, they're just like little Christs. (laughs) That's what the word means. Little Christ. Christ Christ-like. Smaller versions. And I think the church decided to just embrace it and said, you think that's an insult? It is an honor to be called like Christ. Oh, that the world today would call us that, like Christ. I think the problem with the church today is we are very little Jesus. Our methods and our programs and our charisma will always fall short of His glory unless He is in it. Write this down. You cannot glorify Him without Him. 
your, your intentions, your goodness, you, the things that you try to do to impress Him, you cannot impress Him without Him. I'm going to close with this prayer that Paul prayed to the church at Ephesus. And I think one of the things that Paul was doing is one of his first experiences as a Christian, really, uh, outside of the church at Damascus, was the church at Antioch. This is where he saw what Barnabas saw. And more importantly, I think these are the people who actually sent him on his first missionary journey. And so there's this high hurdle of every other church is going to be compared to this one. And so when Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, it's not an accident that he's talking about being filled with God, that he's being talking about being seated with Jesus Christ, that he walk, talks about being walking in the Spirit and uh, uh, living in the Spirit, and here's what it looks like to live in the fullness of the Spirit of God, and don't be drunk with wine, but filled with the Spirit over and over and over, because he wants for the church at Ephesus what the church at Antioch had already experienced. And the culmination of all of this teaching about fullness, 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 restoration with Father and relating to the Son and indwelt by the Spirit, he comes to Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 19. And he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant to you be uh, strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Here's what Paul asks, pleads, as he prays for the church at Ephesus. He, that they would experience supernatural strengthening for supernatural work. That they would experience the indwelling of Christ and not depend on their own power. Because it is so easy to do. We can get pretty good at doing church without the empowerment of the Spirit. That they would know the love of Jesus. To know the unknowable but he, but he answers that. To know the unknowable, verse 18, with all the saints. There's a part of the love of Jesus you can experience. There's a part of the love of Jesus that I can experience. So when we're together with all the saints, we can experience the fullness. What is unknowable to me is knowable by us as we bring the collective into one another. And it's by our love that we have for one another, that we've learned from the love of Christ, that proves to the brokenness of this world that the Father sent the Son. And then here's what he says at the end. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever Amen. We're going to close a little differently today. So I would like for you to take your Bibles. And I'd like for you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And I'd like for you to find verse 14. And this is a little bit awkward, but I want us to do it while we have an opportunity. I want to, I'm going to close in prayer. 
and I would like for you to stay seated, and I would like for you to pray for yourself and for your church. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through verse 21. Once you're finished praying that for yourself and for your family and for your brothers and sisters, you can be dismissed. But I, I hate to say it, but I'm going to say it. Just try to, your best to be as careful and cautious as you can be with your masks and navigating the room. We need to make sure that we're respecting one another. So leave graciously. I appreciate your participation in that. And uh, leave your chairs where they are. But let's pray together as we begin to seek what God's questions for us are. What his answers for us are in our, in our day. Lord, we just ask that you would teach us. We have learned and learned well what you have done. We can see, I pray, what you are doing. But Lord, reveal to us what you would have us to do. To bring the healing of your kingdom into the brokenness of this kingdom. Teach us, Lord. Give us discernment. Give us the ability to pray effectively. Give us the ability to see who we are in Christ Jesus today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.